Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Donald McIntyre and this is Click for Murder, the companion podcast to CBS Reality's new television series. Now, throughout this series, we're revealing some of the most disturbing crimes of recent history, where the internet has been used as a tool to trick, torture and to kill innocent victims lured into a virtual world where nothing is quite what it seems. On today's episode, we look at the case of 27-year-old Luke Harlow, who groomed 15-year-old Kaylee Haywood on social media. He manipulated her until she agreed to spend the night with him. But this started a chain of events that would result in Kaylee being raped and murdered. But not by Harlow, by his next door neighbour, Stephen Biedman. But what happened and why? And what role did social media play in this murder? Helping me to navigate through this very complicated and tragic case are Dr Elizabeth Yardley, Associate Professor and Director of the Centre for Applied Criminology at Birmingham City University. Welcome, Liz. Hi. And Clinical Forensic Psychologist Mike Berry. Welcome, Mike. Hello. Here's the background. 15-year-old Kaylee Haywood was the second of six children and lived in Misham in Leicestershire. Most of her school friends lived quite far away, so she would spend a great deal of time on her phone and on social media. She was a very typical teenager. She'd recently moved school and her reliance on social media and the internet and online communication was even more amplified. Yeah, there's nothing unusual really about her use of social media because young people will use it to to maintain the relationships that they've got in the real world, as we call it anyway. She was a bit isolated geographically. Uh, Was this over-reliance on social media a bit of a comfort to her? Not sure that it was over-reliance, as as, uh, Liz said. It's the normal practice these days for kids to spend hours on the internet. And it allows kids to be present with their friends whilst they're not physically there. So they they don't say goodbye after school and not see them or talk to them till the next day. They're they're able to keep that communication going. And that's completely normal for that to be happening in the background whilst families are having meals and watching television. 
On the 31st of October 2015, Kaylee started one of these online conversations with a man called Luke Harlow on social media. As it happened, he lived just six miles down the way in the village of Ipstock and Harlow was 27 years of age. I mean, that's a significant age gap. But what's interesting is that when Harlow contacts Kaylee on Facebook, it seemed completely out of the blue. Is that kind of strange? It does appear to be, because generally when you look at how teenagers use social media, it's to maintain the relationships that they already have offline than to begin new ones. But at the same time, because they are friends on social media with people they're at school with and that they play sports with, it feels like a safe space. So having a stranger approach you in that context doesn't seem as threatening or as risky as it actually is. Let's just drill down into what's actually going on here. These are the first steps in the grooming of a vulnerable 15-year-old girl by an adult, a manipulative adult. That's what's going on here. And I think given that that Kaylee is friends with her, her mates on Facebook and she feels safe in this space, that makes it an ideal hunting ground for someone like Harlow. To reinforce my point, clearly what happened is that a conversation developed rapidly and very rapidly. Within 20 minutes, he asked her if she wanted to come out to a party and within 90 minutes, he had her phone number. Why does he want her phone number? He wants to make contact with her on different levels. The internet's a good way. He can text her by phone. He can start to bombard her with text messages. He can start to groom her. And he can take the communication off Facebook, which is a rather kind of public-facing social media platform. If there's things that he wants to do that he doesn't want other people to see, then he needs to do that away from the prying eyes of others. And it's sexy for her because it's a secret. She is young enough to enjoy the idea of a secret relationship. Not necessarily a sexual, not necessarily a boyfriend, but a secret relationship that other people don't know about. I mean, to what extent is a stranger a stranger online? Well, I think young people and and people in general tend to have a more kind of informal way of interacting with each other on social media, and that can build up a really false sense of proximity and trust incredibly quickly. But if he spent 90 minutes communicating with her, he's already created a very high level of intimacy. Most people only converse for a few minutes. Most people going to a pub would only converse for a few minutes. To give somebody 90 minutes, that's an intensive amount of time. She is going to be seduced by that. Now, he's very assertive. He's asking things, insisting upon things very quickly in their digital engagement. Are these warning signs, red flags, that uh, assertiveness, that confidence? Well, it suggests that it's it's something that he's done before. Um, Perhaps he's got several girls that he's targeting at the same time and he wants as as quick and an efficient way as possible to find out which ones are going to fall for him and which ones to, to put to one side. If we knew about it, it would be ringing bells straight away. The problem is we don't know about it because she keeps it secret. But if her parents knew about it or school or anybody else knew about that, they'd be saying, hey, what's going on, 27-year-old? 15-year-old, dodgy. So who was Luke Harlow, the man who contacted Kaylee on Facebook, completely out of the blue? He was a man in his 20s from Leicestershire. He had a decent education, a nice flat, but wasn't working at that particular time. He had lots of friends and a supportive family. 
um, it doesn't seem to be any particular red flags around his background and, and social matrix. Well, there's nothing that we know about, is there? Um, it could very well be that there are red flags, there are warning signs, but because he hasn't come onto the radar of any systems, that, that we, we don't flag it up. But Harlow had a different online persona to that of his real life. Online, he was Luke Funtimes Harlow, and he had 1,700 Facebook friends with another 300 outstanding friend requests and had exchanged nearly 100,000 Facebook messages. Now, what stands out to me is the sheer proliferation of his online activity. I mean, did he, I mean, did he have a... He didn't did have he... a job. He didn't have time for a job because he was spending hours and hours contacting people. You've got to ask the question, why does somebody have 1,700 friends? They're just out to make contact with other people. But I also suspect it's an element of fishing there that he's trying to find females that he can have sex with. That's a very good point. Mm, this is almost his, his self self-imposed full-time job, isn't it? It is, yeah. I did a quick calculation, and out of 100,000 Facebook messages, it would be somewhere in the region of 270 per day for each year he's doing it. It's a horrendous amount of time and energy, and it shows a high level of obsessionality, worrying signs. And that Facebook profile is such an important part of of his his activities and his behaviour because he's creating an online persona with many, many friends, with 1,700 friends that makes him look popular and that's the type of profile that is appealing to a teenager. And he's using the fun time as a, as a tag. So again, he's giving the right kind of message. I'm a fun guy. You really ought to communicate with me. Incredibly, in the two weeks following Harlow's first contact with Kaylee, they exchanged 2,643 messages via text and Facebook. Some intimated that they were more than just friends. He asks, can we be friends with benefits? He says how beautiful she is and he expresses how he would like to have a proper relationship with her. Now, this seems to me very classical grooming. This is classical grooming. He's starting to plant the ideas that we're not just going to have an internet relationship, we're going to have a sexual relationship. The fact that he's asking is setting up the question and then she's had to give the answer. And one of the things he's doing is he's starting off, he's paying her a lot of compliments and at first he's saying that he won't have sex with her until she's 16 so he's giving this this image of the gentleman who's respectful of her but he's also suggesting that sex is going to be a thing. So he's got his approach quite well crafted which is really concerning for me. And Kaylee is naturally charmed by his attentions. Yeah, she's a 15-year-old girl. She's likely to have 15, 16-year-old school friends of the male. She's suddenly got a 27-year-old man. A man, not a boy, a man. She's going to be flattered by that. What I find interesting is that she doesn't seem to tell her friends about it, so she's not um, boasting or, or bragging about it, and I suspect he encouraged her to be secretive about it. Now, classic grooming. Because she's doing it on her phone, she's doing it on the sofa, sitting beside her parents in the living room, and she's engaging with this. Does that, again, reinforce the sense that she feels in a safe place, that she can you know, take her risks online because she's still in the comfort and safety of her own living room? She's not taking risks. She doesn't see that she's taking risks. You've got to have that maturity and understand the consequences of behaviour to be able to say, 
a, I'm taking a risk. She's not taking a risk in her mind because she doesn't see a risk. This is, this is just fun, Liz. This is just fun for her. This is like, a, you know, it's exciting. It's fun. You know, she hasn't seen a downside to this. And the thing about social media is that it enables us to be present in multiple spaces at the same time. So we can be at home with our family, but also being groomed by a predator. And now we know that Harlow had contacted, befriended and flirted online with several young girls, including two 15-year-olds and a 13-year-old. Each girl thought Harlow was their boyfriend and he loved only them and no one else. He's an online predator, groomer, who's targeting several young girls at the same time. And is that standard practice for yeah. our traditional groomer sex offender? What this guy's doing with, is using the internet to fish for his prey. And he throws out lots of tidbits and some people bite it. And then he's carrying on, slowly drawing them in to a relationship. He doesn't know which one he's going to be successful with, so he, he, he tries it on with all, all of them. The advantage of this, it's a force multiplier. You can target several potential victims at the same time, but you don't need to, to gain access to the spaces that young people occupy. So you don't have to gain the trust of parents or sports coaches or people like that. It's very efficient. And these children don't know each other. So he's not contaminating his pond at all by any means. He's keeping them nice and separated and therefore he can get away with it. We now know from uh, the police investigation of his previous uh, digital activity is that once these girls he befriended online became 16, he didn't want to talk to them anymore. So for him, that underage 16-year-old uh, you know, illegal, illicit activity with uh, young girls, that was his thing. Yeah, because he's able to implicate them in their own victimisation if they, they are saying, well, I'm going to tell someone about this, he's able to turn around and say, well, you know, you're not supposed to be doing this. It's actually your fault. And he loses that when they turn 16. If we took him in that space with that evidence right now, how dangerous as a predator do you think he is? I think he's incredibly dangerous because he's showing absolutely no signs of stopping and people like this are only going to get worse. The bells are ringing in my head. This guy is so dangerous that they should do something with him. Harlow's initial messages were flirtatious but soon the tone changed one message said wish I could be with you for cuddles in bed he also said he'd like to have sex with her but not as we said before until she was 16 Kaylee replied I don't want to have sex yet and she's introducing a boundary there which uh, is significant of course Harlow was lying when he said he wanted to wait until she was 16 to have sex Miranda Moore was the prosecuting QC in the case the way he acted, it was incredibly clever. He would come on full on to her in these messages. I want to meet you. And then when he realised that she was well under 16, he purported to back off. Oh, perhaps I'm too old for you. Sort of reeling her in. What's going on here, Liz? He's obviously crafted this particular approach through trial and error. He's learned what's worked before, what hasn't worked. He knows exactly the right kind of things to say. And he's able to, to get these girls into this position in which he's completely in control of them incredibly quickly. And he's laying out the promised land in advance of parties and gigs and pubs. So she's looking ahead towards the fun times, like fun time Harlow. 
Yeah, he's selling her the idea not just of, of sex, but of a real relationship. And he's playing on those teenage girls' idealistic conceptualizations of what a relationship looks like. So these are really well-practiced lines. And then we see another escalation. One message says, we'll need to have a drink soon, babe, so I can get you drunk and take advantage. I'll be nice, baby, honest. And I'll be your boss. You have to do everything I say. Got you all to myself now, babe. You have to give me kisses whether you want to or not. I This now, he's ordering, he's directing. Is he testing you know, the ability to which he's, he has her in his web, his control? Yeah, I think there is some of that going on. And I think also in what he's doing here, he's talking about drinking, he's talking about having sex. And these are all things that kids are going to fear will get them into trouble or will be embarrassing if they do you know, eventually speak out and tell someone about it. So this is another way of exerting power by implicating her in her own victimisation. I would argue that if she said, in your dream, sunshine, or something like that, he would have dropped her and moved on to the next one. He's testing her out. She's falling for the words, the trap and everything else. An older girl would have said, yeah, come on, sunshine. What's he hoping to achieve? Is he simply motivated by sex? I think that's a large part of what's driving him. But then we've got to kind of go a bit beyond that. What does sex represent? It represents power. It represents control. Here's somebody who's in his 20s and he's targeting underage girls. So here's somebody who has a lot of trouble, I think, relating to people of his own age. Harlow's online tactics appeared to be working. Kayleigh appeared to waver, though, saying, I would have to be really drunk. That is in reference to the suggestion that she'd have sex. Then on Friday 13th, after receiving thousands of calculated and coercive messages, she agreed to spend the night at Harlow's house. For a cover story, she told her parents she was going to a sleepover at a friend's house. Crucially, so as not to alert her parents, she also said it was a friend's house where she'd stayed before. Now, why has she agreed to this escalation? Has it become kind of all too much for her that she's surrendered to this exciting possibility of a night with her um, elderly, in her terms, 27-year-old boyfriend? Do we know what terms he's laid down? Is he actually saying, just spend the night with me and no sex? So she's thinking, oh, well, it would be nice and everything else. Maybe that's what he's selling to her rather than having intercourse with her. I tend to agree with with Mike. I think that he he's possibly crafted a narrative along the lines of, well, if you come round, I'll sleep on the sofa, something like that. I think he's determined. He's getting impatient. He wants to get her into his house. And I think he realised that she was pulling back a little bit when he was talking about having sex with her. So he needs to get her in under a, a different guise. But he succeeded in getting her into his house, into his flat, and yet they'd only known each other for just two weeks. You know, and most of that, in the entirety of that, practically, was online. But as we've said before, we've got disinhibition happening here, and the internet is famous for doing that. People become so much more intimate, so much quicker. Normal courtship takes over days, weeks, months. But with the internet, you can actually communicate so many ideas and escalate those intensity in a very, very short time. The internet's brilliant for doing that. Interesting, as Detective Constable Andy Spence, the officer in charge of the case, points out, Harlow was very calculating when it came to the meeting place. Luke Harlow had orchestrated that he would meet her in a public place, away from her home address. He gave her the suggestion about where to get dropped off, about what to do, about the excuses to give. Now, it seems to me, 
he still was very comfortable with CCTV. Why was that? Well, by meeting her in a public place and by any potential CCTV capturing her going along willingly, then he's kind of thinking ahead. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. This is a consensual act. But he could be saying to her, I know we can't have sex since you 16. We've agreed on that, so come and stay overnight. We may go and have a few drinks, we may go to parties, you may hang out, whatever. And he could be saying quite categorically, we won't have sex. Now, it's interesting, she stays another night, so she obviously felt comfortable the first night and that she was comfortable in that situation because she wanted to stay on. We don't know exactly what happened in the flat, but we do know that the next day Kayleigh texted her mom to ask if she could say, as you rightly say, another night. And a reminder, her mom thought that she was staying at a friend's house. Now, Kaylee seemed to be enjoying her time with Harlow, but that was all about to change. Harlow had a friend and a neighbour called Stephen Beedman, who was a landscape gardener and had a pretty normal background. But we now know that he liked to watch extreme pornography. On his issue with extreme pornography, what impact can that have on the viewer? When you're consuming extreme pornography, you're being presented with images all the time of incredibly violent sometimes and, uh, and really unpleasant stuff. And the more of this you see, that you become desensitised to it and you have to watch even more violent content in order to, to achieve the same kind of high. What's worrying about it is, as you said, Liz, they become desensitised, but they also then have to escalate so often you find they go from watching pornography to acting it out. And we've had cases in the past where people have watched very, very violent uh, pornography and then gone out and acted it, because that's the next stage of the escalation. 
Harlow and Kayleigh ran out of mixers for drinks, so Harlow popped round to Beedman, his next-door neighbour, to see if he had any or if he could get some. There he told Beedman he had a, quote, bird next door, and this appeared to interest Beedman. The pair then went to the shops, leaving Kayleigh alone at the flat. On their return, all activity on Kayleigh's phone ended unusually early. Normally she'd be active on her phone until about 11 o'clock, but everything stopped abruptly at 8.43pm. We'll never know exactly what happened in the flat, but we do know that at 10.30pm, neighbours heard screaming, but no one called the police. I mean, on that particular point of bystander kind of observations and the bystander effect where people hear and watch events like this, but they don't interact, why? Because they don't take responsibility. They think somebody else will take responsibility and do a 999 or 911 call or whatever you need to do. They assume somebody else will do it. And they'll often explain it away. They'll engage in interpretive denial. So they'll they'll hear somebody screaming and think, oh, well, it's 10.30 on a Saturday night. It's just people messing around on their way from a night out. What do we think actually happened in the flat? It's hard to to speculate as to exactly what went on, but at at some point, Beedman and and Harlow return from the shops, having gone out to to get mixers. And I think during the time that they've been out, there's been some kind of conversation that's gone on between them and they've got back to the flat and something has been put to Kayleigh. This is what's going to happen. And she's not happy with that. So likely she refused in engagement with these two older men and uh, resisted. And that may have been, or likely, the source of the screams and the protest. Uh, in respect of Harlow and Beedman um, both having these really dark interests in young girls and extreme pornography in the case of Beedman and sexual grooming in the case of Harlow, they were neighbours. To me, it's inconceivable that they weren't aware of each other's predilections. Mm. I tend to think that, that people who have got these kind of, you know, deviant desires and, and wants, I think they actually see that in other people. Um, I think they recognise it in others around them. Yeah, I agree with that. I've certainly seen that happen in, in cases in the past where people who have no obvious connection seem to connect because of their deviations. What we do know for certain in all this conjecture is that Kayleigh decided to flee into the cold on that November night. She ran out of the flat semi-naked and barefoot but Beedman chased her and caught her. He then marched her across the road to a nearby country park and raped her. Beedman chased her. Was he trying to control the situation? Manage it? Something must have happened in there and he decided, you know, I can go next door, leave this mess now to Harlow but he decided to chase her. No, I think he was sexually aroused and wanted to have sex with her at any cost to him and to her. I think the fact that he chased her for such a long distance indicates his very high sexual arousal. He was determined he was going to have sex with her. I think what happened was he thought he was going to have consensual sex with her in Harlow's flat and she clearly didn't want to have sex with him. I suspect she didn't want to have sex with Harlow. And that's how the whole thing has escalated. He was clearly determined to have sex with her. And then Beedman forced Kayleigh to walk a mile through farmland into a dense woodland. And there is where he killed her. Now, uh, it's not just a small walk. I mean, he had quite a convoluted route here. I mean, it's rather tortuous. When I walked those footsteps, it seemed to me as if, you know, he was thinking... 
he was trying to manage and control uh, Kaylee after the rape and then was trying to decide how am I going to manage the situation? Is it possible if I can bring her back to the house and uh, assuage her of her concerns, make her co- uh, more compliant? Or am I now going to have to plan to murder her? My my thoughts on that are, are quite similar. I think he is kind of trying to, to buy some time with Kaylee to try and kind of talk her around, to, to manipulate her essentially. And then I think at some point she tries to make a run for it. And I think that's when he kills her. I think the killing was impulsive. I don't think he planned to kill her. I, I agree with you. I think he's trying to defuse the situation and then it explodes because either she's kicked off again, she's hit him or something like that. And he picks up a brick, which again indicates a very impulsive behaviour. But, but he's not you, planning you say, to kill her. No, well, you say that, but if he's not planning to kill her, murders in mind because this is actually in agricultural farmland across several fields. The journey onto the farmland means to me that that decision had been made right. I can't really control the situation. It's out of hand. I've got to kill her. No, no. I think he's just trying to, to get away from where there could potentially be other people around because if they, they start walking back towards the flat, there's the risk that others are going to be around, that, that, that Kaylee's going to draw attention to them. But that the further into this, this kind of countryside uh, and isolation they go, the more chance he's got, the more time I, he's buying. I, this is calming, this is a, no, this, I think this, he's calming her down. That's what he's trying to do. If you're saying he's planning to kill her, I would argue that why didn't he take her back to the flat? This guy's into extreme porn, extreme violence. He would surely, if he's going to kill her, take her back to the, his flat or, or Harlow's flat and engage in violence of an enjoyable nature for him. I don't see the violence was at the same enjoyable level for him killing her with a brick. Kelly's phone was found by a passerby the next morning who managed to use the SIM card to call the last number dialed, which was the friend she had told her parents she was staying with. Now, it soon became apparent that Kaylee was missing and the police were called. On accessing Kaylee's tablet, the police soon tracked down Luke Harlow, but Harlow told police that Kaylee had left the flat with Beadman at about midnight and he had no idea where they went after that. The police questioned Beadman, having tracked him down and became suspicious about scratches on his face, but he pleaded ignorance about Kaylee's disappearance. The police then started a frantic search for her, but that was hampered by extraordinarily foul weather. Also, it's worth noting that during this time, Beedman admitted to a medic that he'd been having dark thoughts for around two years. Why doesn't he admit to everything, you know, so they can put people out of their misery, just in case she was still alive? Well, I think he's still looking out for himself at this point in time. And that's been his concern all throughout the the past sort of couple of days, hasn't it? It's been for, for his own well-being and not anyone else's. What do you think he meant by dark thoughts? Well, I'm being very cynical. I think he is working his defence. He's looking at the possibility of going from manslaughter charge, um, diminished responsibility, I'm hearing the voices, etc., etc., rather than the murder charge, which he did actually get convicted on. Exactly. He knew what he was doing. He knew what he was doing was wrong. And in the eyes of the law, that's murder. After three days, Beedman dramatically changed his story. Having claimed to have had no knowledge of the murder, he then admitted everything. He also gave police an idea of where the body was, but not exactly where it was, because I don't think he was fully aware exactly where he placed the body and where he had killed Kaylee. On a cold, rainy day, Inspector Paul Allen took me to the site where he made the gruesome discovery. 
the amount of emotional investment that had gone into the search by and the investigation by everybody that had been involved in it was incredible. And to come to that ultimate conclusion and find her there that night uh, in terrible and tragic circumstances, you know, it affected us all. I have a daughter, one of the other officers there that night has a daughter, and, uh, you know, this is somebody's daughter who's lying there. You can't imagine the number of officers who were involved in Leicestershire Police and other forces who were desperately searching along with the community in the hope that this missing girl would be found and then to finally find the body. So a desperate moment for the officers and, of course, the family. At last, at least they had some closure. Now the investigation could begin, Liz. Yeah, absolutely. And this is just another chapter of this horrendous case, isn't it? So you've had the terrible outcome of finding out that Kaylee's dead and now they've got to endure the the trial of these two predators. Biedman was charged with rape and murder. Harlow was charged with three counts of grooming and two counts of sexual activity with a minor. In your research, and you're one of the leading researchers, if not the leading researcher in this area of social media killers. What kind of category does Beedman fit into? This is an interesting case, isn't it? Because the man who took Kaylee's life is not the one who groomed her on social media. So Beedman hasn't actually used social media at all. It's Harlow that's the online predator. And I think Beedman has, has taken advantage and basically claimed Harlow's prey for himself. Is this a kind of folly adieu that this murder could only have taken place with the collusion of these two people? Traditionally, that phrase is placed in the hands of a kind of male and a female and they uh, they act in concert together to commit their sexual no, crimes. No, you've got it totally wrong. Thunder is when you have two people who share the same delusional ideas. Usually they are living together or very closely related to each other. Here we've got a guy who is basically an opportunistic killer. They were He's living not. beside each other. They had to share no. interests. I'm no, just, not. I throw it out there. I throw it out there. No, uh, you, and you're of totally course, wrong on that one. Yeah, they couldn't find any evidence of an actual conspiracy. So it's not like these two conspired together and planned this as a, a thing that they were doing together. Our man Harlow, he is grooming this girl for having sex. The chap next door is purely opportunistic and seeing a chance of having sex with the girl. She's obviously resisting his advances. There is no planning. He's just taken the opportunity of of having sex with an underage girl. What could have been done to prevent this murder, Mike? Oh, we need to go back to basics and teach kids about grooming, teach them about the use of the internet, teach them about communicating who they're communicating to. A lot more openness and less secrecy. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And I think often we we see teenagers on Facebook, we see them on their phones, and we just assume that they're talking to their mates. And and that might not be the case. But it's about having kind of open and honest conversations. And and often it's it's about teenagers hearing it from their peers, because often they're not going to listen to somebody who's 30 years older than they are. Beedman was the murderer, Mike, but how much of the blame lies with Harlow, the man who groomed her, who brought her to his flat and left her vulnerable? I think he was incredibly dangerous. We've got a chap here who clearly has a history of grooming girls and presumably having sex with them because he's successful in that. He's groomed her right from the day one. Clear intentions were to have sex with her. Beedman was clearly opportunistic in his attempt his behaviour. He didn't do any planning. Could this murder, and we've discussed this before, could this murder have 
only taken place at this speed within two weeks in the online era. That's my impression. The, the internet has made this murder happen. In real life, she would not have had the level of intimacy that she gained by using the internet. And let's reiterate this. this these events took place two weeks after they first conversed mm. and poked each other as a friend request on Facebook. It's the, the pace of this, isn't it? it? It's happened so quickly. And, and I think Harlow is somebody who would have been likely to, to harm girls you know, outside of the era of social media. But his approach would have had to have been a very different one. So he would have had to have wormed his way into their lives, gained the trust of parents and adults. And, and that would have involved an awful lot in the way of investing time and resource. But he didn't. You can see quite clearly with the thousands of messages and uh, communications on Facebook, he did invest a lot of time. He was unemployed. He probably spent 10, 15 hours a day. Mm. working his projects. But I think having the social media element to it has increased the likelihood that he'd succeed. I think that's the key thing with this case, isn't it? That force multiplier effect. That's the scary aspect of the internet. And may I say we do owe a debt of gratitude to Kayleigh's family for helping us in this documentary in order, and Leicestershire Police, in order to try and prevent other tragedies like this happening. And I think it's important to emphasise that there's nothing about Kaylee's behaviour that's problematic here. Harlow is the one who chose to groom her. Beadman is the one who chose to kill her. So I think we need to be really careful when we're talking about cases like this that we're not blaming the victims for their own murders. Beadman was sentenced to life with a recommendation that he serve at least 35 years in jail and Harlow received 12 years for his offences. Thank you to my guests, Dr. Elizabeth Yardley and Dr. Mike Berry. And of course, you can watch the full documentary of Click for Murder, Stephen Biedman on CBS Reality. From me, Donald McIntyre, for now, goodbye. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Ruby Frankie was known by millions as a very tough mom. That's exactly the way she wanted it. The social media star amassed a huge following of supporters and detractors alike, preaching the values of strict discipline. But you'll learn in a new podcast available exclusively on Wondery Plus how the small empire built by this momfluencer crumbled the moment her 12-year-old son escaped their home and called 911. Wondery and Law and & Crime bring you the new podcast, The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie, which explores the allegations of starvation, torture, and emotional abuse leveled against Frankie and her business partner, Jody Hildebrandt. Learn about the family's path to stardom, the depravity investigators uncovered inside the home, and hear in-depth analysis of the ongoing criminal trial. Listen to The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie exclusively and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.